Nigel Farage. Nigel, good morning, buddy. Good morning, New York. And i got something in common with you, because your daughter's in London, and my 18-year-old daughter is in Washington, D.C. So there you go. The pond is a very small place. <laughs> what, what is the big, differ- the big difference is yeah. it's, sunny, it's sunny in New York this morning, and here in London, and this will not surprise an American audience, it is raining. <laughs> you know what's funny about that is, is I've been to London quite a bit now, especially the last couple of years, even before Ava decided to go to Wales, Nigel, we made a bunch of trips to London, and I've never been there when the weather hasn't been nice. Isn't that weird? Well, I know. But this, this is the American perception. The American perception of London is that it's always raining, <laughs> it's always foggy, it's always <laughs> miserable. Because, of course, we are. I mean, let's face it. We're a, you know, we're a mid-Atlantic island, you know. But today fits the stereotype that most New Yorkers have. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we do have a uh, sunny, gorgeous day. So uh, I know my daughter is in, uh, in London on her way to college. Why is your daughter in Washington, D.C.? What is she doing here? She's got over um, after her exams and before university, and uh, she's interning. She's interning um, in uh, Washington for an American politician. Um, not one, I can assure you, of left-wing persuasion. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, when the last time I went to London, I remember I was... Um... I was staying in a hotel. What hotel was it? Oh, the Waldorf. I, I said it earlier. And uh, they, they had the BBC on TV in the, in the morning. You know, I come down with my coffee and whatever. And uh, I kept asking people, I want to put Nigel on, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I, I came to find very, very quickly that much like New York, you see, I live in a, in a neighborhood in Queens where I can't walk out of the house, Nigel, without people taking pictures and honking their horns. They love me like Trump. But here in New York City, when I walk around, they look at me like I'm the devil. And I didn't realize this, but you sort of get a lot of the same reception that I get when I ask well, people about yeah. you in London. Yeah, I've just had lunch. I've just finished lunch in one of the oldest pubs in London. And uh, I was sitting there. And a couple came in and sat at the next table. And they looked at me. And they asked to be moved. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's exactly what they said. They go, Nigel, oh, yeah. no. But you, know, but, you know, who cares? Who cares? Because the truth is, the truth is, in the center of our big cities, we've got this metropolitan elite. You know, they're all well off. They're all white. They've all got these bizarre ideas about the world. Um, but, you know, once you get away from that and meet real people, the truth is we are in a majority. We just need to wake up and realize it. No, you're right about that. I totally agree. And also not just wake up and realize it, but not be afraid to say it. But I'm curious, before we get to Donald Trump and my government, which you know more about than most Americans, you know, you've had uh, quite a run there. You had about three prime ministers in three weeks and you had all those changes in parliament. And, of course, Boris uh, you know, he stepped down at some point. So what does government look like? And King Charles, of course, is not a really government figure. But at any rate, he was, uh, you know, he was coronated uh, last year. What does government look like in your country today? So 10 years ago, I was asked by the BBC on, on, on an interview um, where, with most of the questions, I was treated like a war criminal, obviously. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and, and I was asked, what did I want to achieve with my UKIP revolutionary movement, a political revolution, peaceful revolutionary movement. And I said, I want to cause an earthquake in British politics. 
Well, do you know what? I did that. It was called Brexit, and they couldn't cope with it. And that's why we've had lots of prime ministers, lots of finance ministers. Uh, and now we finished up with this guy, Rishi Sunak, who no one's ever voted for, but hey, he's there. But in two hours' time, we are going to get one of the biggest policy statements we've seen in Britain for 30 years. Wow. He is going to do a volt fast on the whole net zero agenda. He is going to say, after 2030, for several years, we can go on buying petrol and diesel cars. He's going to say, if you live out in the rural areas, you can keep your oil tank. He's going to say, you know, you don't need to get some ludicrous heat pump on the side of your house that cost you a blooming fortune. <laughs> there was a big U-turn coming this afternoon. The whole Westminster consensus has been obsessed that carbon dioxide is somehow a pollutant. I mean, quite how it's a pollutant when you pump it into greenhouses to make tomatoes grow, I don't know. <laughs> um, so, so actually, we're beginning to see, we're beginning to see a, a failing Conservative government finally get just a little bit more conservative. And I found, out, I found out a fact yesterday that a firm called Huawei, they're a Chinese energy company, right? They produce more carbon dioxide, that one company, than the whole of the UK every single wow. year. Wow. Every single year. So we're beginning to get, you know, some signs. Um, and I, you know, I did my stuff in politics. I'm now doing it on media and social media. Um, the good thing is they're all terrified of me, as they should be. Um, <laughs> and we are beginning. But, I mean, basically, basically, we've finished up with a conservative movement that could have been run in America by Mitt Romney. You know? Yeah. That whole, yep. that whole kind of thing. You know, we've not had the right. And, and Boris was an attractive fella. You know, he's, he's, he's uncombed hair and he's quite witty and... Uh, he can't answer a straight question how many kids he's got. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he's, he, he's sort of a rogue, but he's vaguely amusing. But on policy, he's been a disaster. Yeah, yeah. Um, I suspect we're heading next year down more of a socialist route. Um, I think the conservative brand's been damaged. But I think America's in a very different place. Um, I, think that, I think that Trump, for all his difficulties... Um, and my goodness me, they've made his life hard. Um, I just think, you know, and I've had a 40-year association with your great country. I worked for American companies. I've been involved with American politics and media, and I love America. Um, and, and I just think the time is right now uh, for Trump to become number 47. Yeah, so do I. And, and uh, Donald and I have gotten uh, pretty close. He was on this show two weeks ago. He's been on twice over the last three months. I know you and I know. you and he are very close. He loves you. Loves you. And, and I think you're right. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But before we get to Trump, one last thing on your country. We yeah. talk a lot in the United States about China. That's our number one enemy. I know people say it's Russia. It's not. It's China. And, and part of that is uh, this Ukraine-Russia war which we know that China's watching very, very closely to see what the Ukrainians do, to see what the United States does. So that could be a proxy on that as well. In the streets of London or the U.K., where you are, Nigel, there's a lot of talk about China being the world's number one enemy. And how do you feel about the Ukraine-Russia conflict? You've got to understand that we're 3,000 miles closer to this than you are. And you go another 1,000 miles further east, and you speak to people in Estonia or Poland – I mean, they are terrified of Russia uh, because of the Soviet past and everything else. 
So that's an important thing to understand. Um, I cannot condone what Putin has done in any way at all. But equally, equally, the narrative that we're getting from Biden, from Trudeau, from Rishi Sunak, from the Western leaders, that we must keep arming Ukraine, arming Ukraine, arming Ukraine, and putting young men from both sides into a meat grinder of a war that is leading to casualties we've not seen in Europe since World War I strikes me as morally wrong. And I think we need to have... Someone's got to stand up. I mean, Zelensky was at the UN yesterday saying, don't talk to the Russians. But you know something? All through history, wars end with some kind of resolution. So I don't support what Putin's done, but I do, unlike our leaders at the moment, support a peace negotiation. We need to talk peace. We cannot go on seeing these tens of thousands of young boys being killed every month. It's that horrible. You know, you, you brought up Donald Trump earlier and talking about Ukraine, Russia. And uh, a lot of us in this country feel this way. I know I do. A lot of us do. If Donald Trump, Nigel, would have won again in 2020 and served that second term, he thinks he did. He thinks the election was rigged. That's all the story. Um, if he was still president, you know, you know in your heart of hearts, you're a smart guy, that there's no way in a million years, million years, Putin would have gone into Ukraine just like there's no way in a million years the Chinese would even flirt with starting a war with Taiwan. So why would anybody want, right, right? No, it would never have happened. It would never, ever have happened. And he and I have talked about this, you know, one-on-one, often over the course of the last couple of years. It would never have happened. The trouble is, America finished up with a president who was a complete old duffer, no idea (laughs) what he was doing, no idea what he was doing. And he unilaterally withdrew, withdrew, 3,000 troops from Afghanistan. They weren't fighting in the front line. They were helping the Afghanistan army. He handed, he handed Afghanistan back to the very same Taliban we'd fought at great cost for 20 years. And you know what? Pro rata, on size of population, we put in every dollar and every human life that you put in, all right? We stood with you all the way in this, equally. We're smaller, but equally we did. And Biden handed it back, and Putin thought, with Biden in charge, the West is finished. So, no, no, we can lay a huge amount of blame at Biden's door. But it's becoming clearer to me, uh, not only is he an old duffer, but he's frankly senile. (laughs) Nobody in America is telling the truth about this. Everyone's playing this with kid gloves. The Republicans won't say it because they fear that if the 25th Amendment got moved, he'd be booted out. He's their greatest asset. Uh, The Democrats are holding faith within their own tribe with Biden. But I predict that within the next couple of months, you're going to see Democrat senators and congressmen and women coming out saying Biden must go. We cannot, we cannot go on with the leader of the Western world being this total numbskull. 